here on Swings and Mishes, we only bring you the very best content with the Miami Marlins and Major League Baseball. And if you want to get yourself into a very good car, what you need to do is make sure you head on over to Happy Car Sales, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. And the phone number is 954-800-2449. I have been buying cars personally from Louie, the owner, for more than a decade. And he wants me to let you know that whether or not you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it simply doesn't matter. He's got his full inventory online at happycarsflorida.com, and all of the financing is done in-house. Again, it is happycarsflorida.com, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale, and Louie's phone number is 954 954- 8002449 if the car that you want is not in his inventory he will get it for you happycarsflorida.com 9548002449 hello baseball fans and welcome back to another episode of swings and mishes here on a lovely thursday morning i am your producer jeremy tache and as always, Craig Mish joins me uh, to talk all things Marlins. Um, and we actually have some really positive stuff in regards to the Major League team. Uh, as of yesterday, uh, we all w- were informed that Miguel Rojas will be extending with the Miami Marlins. So, Craig, I uh, would love to know your first thoughts on, on the Marlins locking in their shortstop, um, a, a player who has overachieved this season I think by all measures and is a a great clubhouse guy would love to know uh, your thoughts on the Miguel Rojas extension yeah I think that for the individual this is really nice because Miguel Rojas has has really uh, as a baseball player become somebody that was more than an extra player no one could have anticipated and I believe this is his third organization that he's played in And as I said last night on social media, it is fantastic for him because when you think about what he has come from, living in Venezuela and just trying to make it as a big league player, being able to get an extension where I believe it was John Heyman has some of the reported numbers of being approximately $6 million for next year and then an additional $6 million the following year. Let's put that in perspective for somebody like Miguel Rojas, who easily two or three years ago could have been envisioning himself maybe on a minimum contract, a non-tender and being out of the league. I mean, that was certainly a possibility. You never would have thought that this would have happened. And now the way that I see it is Miguel Rojas is set for his life. Yep. Set with his family for life. He is someone that throw away all of the money that he's made to this point, and you don't do that. $12 million, Miguel Rojas is going to live a fantastic life for him and his family and living in uh, Western Broward County. Um, Congratulations, man. Like that is, that's the way that I see this, no matter what happens with him the rest of his career, whether he's great or whether he's average or whether he's an extra guy or whether he's a starter. And so I look at in this case, particularly more as a high five for the individual because of how hard he's worked and now adding an extra $6 million of guaranteed money to his life, to his career, it is so well-deserved and so well-earned. 
and and with the Marlins basically rewarding a player in this case for someone that exemplifies what they want him to be. It does not guarantee, by the way, Rojas will be here even in two years because you know how things work. Players could certainly be traded. I don't know that that will or won't happen for him. But what it does ensure, I think, that it puts Miguel Rojas on the 2020 Marlins. Hmm. I mean, I I would find it very hard to believe that they're going to extend him and then trade him immediately. I don't think that this is the old Jeffrey Loria way of doing things. I would guess that he will be here. So that is great. Uh, From the Marlins' point of view, as I said last night, I mean, let's let's hold off on a little parade here, okay? Uh, Miguel Rojas is well worth the $6 million that he's going to be paid in a couple of years. You know, it, going through arbitration, this is the going cost of players in the big leagues. And so while it is great for Rojas, I'm certainly not looking at this as, as a Brian Anderson extension or sure. the signing of a Jose Abreu or, or giving a player a multi-year contract. So, yeah, it's nice and it's cool, but I'm going to stop at that until I see some real money being spent outside of the players that are really on this team. And, and speaking of which, in terms of Brian Anderson, I know this is, is, is being discussed or it's going to be brought up because everybody wants to see him extended. There is no extension right now at all for Brian Anderson. Whether or not they've discussed it, I'll leave that to everyone who is listening. There is nothing close. There is nothing imminent. And I don't anticipate an, extend, an Anderson extension happening, at least in the immediate future. Whether that changes or not, certainly could happen. Uh, Brian Anderson is a really good player. And I don't believe that Brian Anderson is going to take any kind of hometown discount in a feel-good situation to stay with the Miami Marlins. I think that he's a good player. I think that he probably would like to stay here. But I believe also that this is a player that's going to want to be paid properly. And if the Marlins do decide to step up and pay him, yeah, then they'll sign him to a long-term extension. But, Jeremy, I can tell you that as of right now, that's not uh, in the conversation. Uh, But great for Miguel Rojas. Congratulations again to him to show not just Major League Baseball players, but kids like my own son, who's a fan of Miguel Rojas, that you can work real hard at something and, and live out your dream, accomplish your dream, and take care of your family for the rest of your life. So I wanted to make sure that I said that because I think that, to me, is the, is the underlying factor beyond all of this. A great, great message for kids, a great message for players coming from, uh, from high school ball and even from other countries to the United States. If you work real hard and you have a great attitude and you, you, you put your best foot forward every single day, you can be rewarded like this, and I think that's what it says to me. Yeah, M- Miggy Rowe has been nothing but class this entire build, rebuild from the moment he showed up with the Miami Marlins. And, and as a young media member, he's gone out of his way to make, I- I've noticed not just myself, but any other young media member, any new media member um, that, that's covered the Marlins, he's gone out of his way to make them feel comfortable. He's always the guy that when there's a losing streak or a tough loss, etc., he's the guy that steps up and says, come ask me the questions you know, when, when the media is in the room post game to, to make sure that the rest of his teammates can feel comfortable, that they can process a loss or even a win. He can be the guy to come in and say, this is what we're about. So it, it, you're right. In terms of the person, I can't think of a better person to be rewarded with, with a contract like this yeah, that, that will set him up going forward. Yeah, Jeremy, he's a fantastic person, a fantastic father, a fantastic player. It is well-deserved for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, you know, Cody Ross was like this too, Jeremy, right. Cody, Ro- Cody right. Ross was Cody not winning Ross. you 90 games though. Okay. Right. So, so that's, that's the situation here. You should be excited for the individual and the player, 
But as we close in on the Marlins losing 105 games or 110 right. games or whatever it is, let's also keep the perspective here as to what needs to be done for 2020. Right. This team has lost a lot of games in the second half of the season, a lot. The games have been uh, virtually unwatchable in a lot of situations. And so calling it fairly and calling it honestly, we have to look at it from both sides. And, and we, we start this podcast off, and we are going to have an overwhelmingly positive podcast here coming right. up with the interview that we're going to do and what we're going to discuss here in terms of the instructional league. But we also have to very much keep perspective and keep eyes on the prize here which is you're, you're going into 2020 now and, and there needs to be some serious, serious on-field talent upgrades on this team in order to even be slightly competitive next year. I don't think this market is going to allow uh, another 100-loss season. At least I hope they, they will not allow this, this mm-hmm. club and this franchise another 100-loss season. I don't know what the perspective is, but thankfully on Friday, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday or Friday morning, thankfully on Friday, Marlins Chief Operating Officer Derek Jeter, who I've said before and I'll say again, uh, he and the, uh, the owner of the team as well, Bruce Sherman, I think they've done a very good job. I think that arguably the path that they've chosen is as good a path as I've ever seen for this franchise. And I would say that they've done a very good job. There's only been one deviation on this path since they've started. And I've said it over and I'll say it again. There's been no deviation in their plan and their program. The only one was uh, firing Chip Bowers. That was the only thing to me. And I'm not saying that that was right or wrong. I just don't know really what happened there. Right. Because this was a guy that they brought in a year ago. When we do our season recap, that's, that's the thing that I'll circle because I'm, I'm just not sure how that ends up happening. Uh, but other than that, every single thing that they've had, that the path that they've set, as they've stayed right on it, they've been patient, they've done everything they've said, brought in Posada. Like, I, I'm a fan of what they've done. Uh, but they still have a lot of work to do this offseason. Right. And it's a big offseason for them. Not as big as it will be in 2020 to 2021. But if this organization thinks that they can put that product again on the field, like they had this year in 2020, you cannot expect this fan base to be as patient as they have been. And I give the fans a lot of credit. Yep. They've been passionate, but they've been patient. You can't ask them to do this three years in a row like this, losing 90-plus games. The product has to be better next year. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, the big big league team has continued to struggle. They've lost the last two series. At least they won games in each of those series uh, since, since we last did our podcast. Um, Congratulations. You know, but, uh, you know, the last chance to go out and see whatever you're going to see uh, from the Miami Marlins the rest of the year is this weekend. They do have a more home series, but um, so if you do want to get out to the park and see these players and this, this formation of this team one last time, you can do so this weekend. Um, Craig and I will both be out there at, at different points throughout the weekend. Um, but one thing you did get a chance to do this week at Marlins park, Craig was, was be there for the instructional league. Um, and, and could you maybe recap what happened there? Sure. Um, and instructs and, and maybe any extra information that you have. Yeah, that, that I've been two years in a row now to Marlins Park. They've brought the in, in instructional league kids, uh, arguably a lot of their younger best prospects because the other ones are in the Arizona Fall League. Mm. And so, you know, certainly you guys can follow that online. There are people covering that. And um, I will not be attending that, but that's a nice little glimpse of the view as to some players who are out there like Nick Nider, Jeter, and Jeter Encarnacion, 
and some of the higher end talent that the Marlins have that are closer to getting to the big leagues. And I think that the Arizona fall league is always a very positive thing to have players in. So we'll follow along with that as we go here on the podcast, but when you have an event in South Florida, like the one that they had the other day, I thought it would be important for me to at least go and, and kind of see who thinks what about certain players. And so, therefore, uh, DJ Svillick, who drafted uh, or was at least engineering and drafting a lot of these players, and then, of course, uh, Jazz Chisholm, who they traded for, and Jesus Sanchez, who they traded for, those guys were all on display. So, uh, unfortunately, I was not able to stay for the game and uh, being the father that I, that I am, uh, Little League, and being involved in my kids' lives, it's important for me to pick up my kids at school every day uh, if I can, if I don't drop them off at school. So maybe I'm giving out too much information here on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I was there for the pregame. I was there for the batting practice. And, and, uh, and, and I think that hearing from DJ Svillick, who to me, in terms of hires by Marlins Chief Operating Officer Derek Jeter, and Vice President Gary Denbo, I think that DJ Spillick I put at the top because of interviews like you'll hear, not just a great interview, but somebody who is just so passionate about what he does. And, and, I, and I think that you guys will really enjoy this because you're going to learn something. You know, interviews are great and they're fun and we have players on, but do you really learn anything in those interviews? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes they're just filler. We have Martin Prado on. You learn a lot. It's a great interview. Uh, this is this is a really good interview. You're going to get to hear a lot about how the Marlins view and how they, they think things are going to go in the future. But another takeaway of something that I don't think that you are going to hear in the interview, and, and it was brought up to me um, you know, separately, is just how the Marlins feel that they have maybe their, maybe their best pick in the entire draft based on where they took them uh, ends up being Peyton Burdick. And I think that's the name that everyone needs to circle and understand that uh, you may be looking at a very special player that they got in this draft in the mid to later rounds. So I want to emphasize that, that look, that doesn't take anything away from J.J. Blade. It doesn't take anything away from Cameron Meisner or Nassim Nunez, who looks like he could be an elite defender there. Evan Fitterer, Makma, we've been over all of these names and these players before in the draft. Uh, and J.D. Orr, who's been great too. But uh, this kid from Wright State, Peyton Burdick, needs to be on everybody's radar as someone that the Marlins think very highly of and may end up being the best pick for value where they got him in the draft. He, is, he has been fantastic for them both in, uh, in, in the uh, single-A level, and I think that you're going to see him in Jupiter very quickly. I think you'll see him in double A and do not discount this name from being a starting outfielder for the Miami Marlins in 2021. So I wanted to make sure that before we get into this interview that I mentioned that, you know, with all of these different names, this outfield farm system just seems absolutely loaded. You know, when you talk about Burdick and then there's Blade and Meisner, et cetera. So it will be exciting to see the way all of these kids project out. You will hear a lot more about how they project out here from DJ Spillick, uh, the director of amateur scouting for the Miami Marlins coming up here on Swings and Mishes. And here on Swings and Mishes, we bring in the Marlins director of amateur scouting, DJ Spillick and DJ in South Florida to watch some of the kids that were drafted by the Marlins in an instructional game earlier this week. And then he'll spend some time in Jupiter with the scouting department. DJ, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's exciting to be here, Craig. All right, so uh, let's kind of go back. You you had the draft, and a lot of accolades, maybe more than 
ever in the history of the Marlins in terms of the draft class, and I know that makes you feel good. But the job doesn't stop there, and you've had an opportunity now to see some of these kids for a couple of months in the minor league system. What can you tell us about the development of some of those kids? Yeah, absolutely. It was a really exciting year for us this year. Obviously, it was our first draft as a department. So you're intrigued and excited to see how those players are going to go out and play. And I think, uh, generally speaking, the feedback was really strong. You try to stay uh, connected to the player development department. Once those players enter the system, the coaches know the players a lot of times better than we ever knew. And we, we do our best to get to know these kids, but there's a lot of obstacles to that over the course of a scouting season. You have 30 teams trying to get to know these players. So being engaged with our coaches, being connected to our coaches, and getting feedback from them. And one of the things we're really excited about is, and this goes from the very, very top of the draft all the way down through some of the lower rounds, the players came out and they competed really hard. That was the general feedback from the coaches. And that's all you can ask of these kids. You know, it's a long year for most of them. It's a rude awakening for a lot of them, for the young high school players that show up and see this competition level for the first time. So all you can ask is they go out and they compete really hard and they show up with some of the talents and the tools that you said they were going to show up with. And I would say for the most part, they did. Um, I, I would say, DJ, it's probably fair from an outsider's perspective. A lot of the people listening to this podcast are very familiar with all of the Marlins. But I think in general, when you look at drafts, people probably would look toward the top and you have the relationship with J.J. Bladé. So I'm sure folks are wondering what what you've heard, what he's looked like in his first couple of months. We've seen some of the moonshots that Cameron Meisner has hit, so there's no question that there's sure. some development going on there. Maybe let's focus on those two just as sure. a beginning part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I, w- I would say that I went out and I saw Jupiter, so I saw J.J. for five days. We'll start with him. J.J. was um, he was challenged. There was a lot of conversation about where do you start a guy like that. For, for people that aren't as familiar, starting a young player, specifically a hitter, in the Florida State League, even for a player that's as advanced as J.J., that's a really big challenge. So some of the things we saw from him that we were really excited about, the plate discipline, uh, the willingness to use the field, hitting with two strikes, uh, starting slow, ending stronger, a lot of those things uh, added up to what we thought he was as a player. I would say from a scouting perspective, what I saw, what I saw was a hitter, which is what we thought we drafted. We didn't, we didn't draft a power hitter. We drafted a hitter that can hit for power, and he showed a lot of those attributes. And in terms of Meisner, let's, uh, let, let's go into him a little minute. You know, I, I know that he put up some decent numbers at least early on, and he hit some big home runs. People are talking about the kind of power that he has. Sure. You know, I'm really excited about what Cameron did this year. You know, Cameron, it's, it's no secret that he didn't have the best junior year, so I was really proud to see that he can show up be challenged in the Midwest League after not playing for essentially a month and a half, two months, and he shows up and he does what he does. That's just a, a testament to the kid and how he's how he's wired. He came up, he showed showed up, and he competed and had some really quality at bats over the course of the season. Um, had some ups and downs, like like all players do. But for for a player that a lot of the industry would say had a rough junior year, I look at what he did in the Midwest League, and I'm really excited about it. So, GJ, I think that since then, as we see some of these kids develop, unfortunately on the big league Marlins side, with the way that the season has trended, all of a sudden we start to focus a little bit more on the 2020 draft because the Marlins, without question, will be picking in the top five. 
kind of uncertain here at this point where exactly they will pick. Uh, I don't know when you're sleeping because you're always on the road. You're always doing something. Uh, what have you seen so far on the road? Any early indications what the draft in 2020 may be looking like? I know we're a long way away from there, but uh, this is obviously what Marlins fans are looking forward to because there's going to be a very high pick selected by you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. That's the future for, for organizations like the Marlins. That's the future. That's how you build a foundation. So we put a lot of time and effort into the amateur draft. I would tell you that my my knee-jerk reaction to answer that question is uh, I'm really excited about the 2020 draft. It's deeper than the 2019 draft. And when I say deeper, uh, typically that has to do with college arms. There's a lot more college arms in this year's draft than their high-level college arms in this year's draft, starting all the way at the very top of the Emerson and Hancocks of the world and then going all the way down through the JT Gins and those type of arms, Asa Lacey at Texas A&M. So there's a lot more arms to get excited about in this draft, and there's more college bats on the way. So those are two things that look really strong. Uh, a third thing that looks really strong is more high school pitching. The high school pitching, and that's that's in general, that tends to be an unpopular take. Nobody wants to take a high school pitcher. There's some. I spent the whole summer out on the circuit. There's some really good young high school arms out there, and of course, there's some young high school hitters too. But in general, those look to be the strengths. A lot more college pitching, a lot more high school pitching, and then your normal uh, abundance of, of college bats. So collectively, that looks like a really strong draft to me. Um, I spent all of June. July and August sorting through that and organizing it and, and here we're compiling all of our information now and looking at the specifics of who might be a fit for us and um, not just at our first pick but over the course of the next two or three or the two or three picks so there are some uh, notorious funny stories about how they can't get you to take a day off they can't get you to sleep and without getting in detail uh, each event and and where it was give give me a kind of brief uh, one minute or two minute synopsis of since I saw you last here about a month, maybe two months ago, all these places that you've been and what you've seen. I'm not the only one that's done this. Uh, our entire cross check group has done it. A lot of other organizations do this. But if I can run you through July 27th to August 27th, it's 8 a.m. in the morning, 9 o'clock at night, shut it down for 30 straight days. And you don't sleep. To, you don't sleep and you don't take time off. But the reason that's so important is that's the most competitive time of the summer. And you don't get an opportunity specifically with the high school players. You don't get a chance to see them against a lot of competitive uh, in competitive situations. Once the summer shuts down, you get a sneak peek at them a little bit in the, in the fall. But once the spring comes, so you got to spend a lot of time combing through this high school talent and seeing who separates themselves. And that's what you do over those. So if you ask my wife, yeah, I don't sleep. I have a chronic headache and I work all the time. I hate, I, I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that. Uh, and I love it. How about that? I, I know I that. It? I know that. I know that from knowing you. Okay, so a, a little bit over a year ago, you take over, and, and you take over the amateur scouting department. Take me back from then to now and the significant changes that you have been able to attain and the things that the franchise has allowed you to do, even this uh, dating back to visiting today and things that are going on I think that people would be curious for how much things have changed the biggest change is the system that we've built uh, last year when I started it was a start from scratch type of situation we had some really good people but we had to build a brand new system a brand new scouting system a brand new culture um, if you will and we spent all of last fall without any reports we spent all of last winter without any reports all of that was building the system 
So by the time we got to January, somebody asked me recently, good draft, you things? I'm like, oh, we survived, <laughs> you know? And I know that's my humble, humble approach to it. Hey, Cameron. Uh, I do, I really feel that way. I feel like we survived. We did the best with not having certain things. And we did that because we have great people. We have really, really good people on the staff that I'm very happy with. This Fast forward to this year, ownership, our analytics department, everybody has worked really hard from a financial standpoint to an intellectual, intellectual standpoint to build a system that has manifested itself on, what are we, September 15th, September 17th, and everything that I had last February, I now have it in September. So now I'm able to manage the information, ask the right questions, create some goals that we have with certain players that we weren't able to do early enough last year that I, want, that I wanted to do, but I just couldn't. Um, so we'll just feel more prepared as we go into next year. All right, and, and I know that you're also in South Florida. The, the hiring process is also underway for you and for the Marlins to bring additional people in to uh, essentially work for you, work with you. What, what are you looking for in, in people when you're conducting these interviews? What kind of background does somebody have to have to get a job scouting for the Miami Marlins? That's a good question. I would tell you from a just from an organizational standpoint, and specifically for amateur scouting, it's, it's people, it's culture, it's process. I think about that all the time. The other two things are going to be very, very difficult if you don't have the right people. So who are those people, to answer your question? Passionate, just like we, just like we talk about with players. Passionate, uh, growth mindsets, hardworking, resilient communicators. Those are the types of people we want. Obviously, there's a prerequisite. We'd like them to have a baseball background. Some guys have played. I have a preference for guys that play. Uh, I like that lens that, that has been shaped. But that's not to say that's an end-all. Uh, we have guys on our staff that didn't play at a high level that are some of our best scouts. And it's because they're open-minded. They love to learn. They're great communicators. They're always asking questions. Thing you, things you hear about people that become very, very successful. So as we go out on the hunt for good people to bring into the organization, obviously, yes, passionate, but we want people to come in with a growth mindset. The industry, it's changing. It's changing right before our eyes. It changes every day at a rapid pace. So you need people that can understand that, that can embrace that, and are willing to change with the industry and willing to grow. So that's what we're looking for. Okay, and let's wrap up with this for DJ Svillick. Uh, we still have six to eight months until the draft, but I know the preparation still is underway. Again, very important pick. Again, going to come up for the Marlins in June. No question. Top three, top four, maybe even higher. Who knows? Uh, what goes on for fans that are listening now until really the heat of the season starts next summer? Okay. Quality control. We know what the tools are. We know where the players are. We know the names. It's my job to help our guys focus on the right players and to get all of the information and all the missing pieces that we can acquire over the course of the next three months. There's a lot of work to be done September, October, November, December that people don't see behind the scenes. The interviewing of the players, the interviewing of the coaches, these are all the things that ultimately turn into a draft pick. We have to pick the right player. We know where the talent is, but we have to fit players that fit our organization and help and have an opportunity to come here and be championship players. It goes beyond just tools and talent. We need championship players. And I would, I probably would say you see that up and down our draft last year, not just with the very top players, but we, we drafted some championship kids that are going to make other players around them better. That's really important to me, um, that some of the upper-level players have other players around them that are really 
that are really good, high-quality makeup guys. That tends to be the difference. So that's what we do over the next few months, try to get that stuff figured out. And before we have our college football pick segment with the Dean Machine, Austin Dean, he's going to pick two games this week. Here's another good way to get college football and even pro football advice. It would be to download the BetQL app, which, of course, we've been talking about all college football season long, and the results have been incredible this year. In fact, this week in particular, what you want to do is get involved in their five-star games. And the fours are good, too, and so are the threes. And you can get a lot of great information as well. But I know a lot of you just go on there and you want their five-star picks. And people always wonder, how many five-star games does the BetQL app have for this week? Well, of course, because I have it, I can tell you that in college football alone on Saturday, there are two two sides and there are two totals. So here's what I want you to do. Download the BetQL app. Before you do that, go to betql.co and sign up for any of their programs this week. And what I will make sure is you get a deep discount for using my promo code, which is my first name, Craig, C-R-A-I-G. So go to betql.co. You can sign up for the season. You can sign up for a week. You can sign up for a month trial. But make sure you enter my promo code Craig, C-R-A-I-G, and get all of the picks they have in any sport that you want. You can also get in on some of the Major League Baseball playoffs if you want. But, of course, I use it for college and pro football. A ton of five-star bets are on deck for the weekend in college on Saturday. Two sides, two totals. It is the BetQL app. Let's get to Austin Dean with our college football picks for this week. And here on Swings and Mishes, what we do is we bring you not just inside baseball, but also inside of college football. And speaking of red hot, I mean, not only can he pick the right games on our show, but the hottest hitter right now on the Miami Marlins is none other than the Dean machine, Austin Dean, on-base percentage around 450, just clobbering the ball in Arizona. So we'll see if your hot hitting can turn into some hot picking in college uh, football. Uh, Austin, you ready to roll here with the games this week? Oh yeah. It's going to be a tough one this week, but you know, I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right. So let's, let's knock it out here. Uh, Let's start off with the team that you know very well, Oklahoma state taking on Texas. Now look, uh, Austin, is there a better name in all of college football than Chubba Hubbard? If there is, I don't know it. I mean, this, this kid is just, like, he rolled last week in that first quarter. I think he had, like, 115 yards. But I, I got to tell you, man, Texas is a formidable foe. We know that for sure. Erlinger's a good quarterback. Uh, but, look, you know OSU like no other. So what ends up happening in this game this week in the showdown? Bro, this, this Chubba Hubbard guy is unbelievable. He's a, obviously a great successor from, uh, from Hill last year. Uh, you know, what I'll say about Oklahoma State is that they haven't played anybody. That's just – to the point they haven't played a single freaking team this year but it doesn't really matter because they're going to score Oklahoma State is going to score now the only problem is is that they're going to give up a lot of points too the Big 12 has no defense we can all agree with that correct yes yes oh yeah 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 no freaking defense but so we'll start with this so Texas is going to be without a couple key pieces against Oklahoma State all right, their safety, B.J. Foster, and defensive back, uh, I'm going to probably butcher this name, uh, Demarion uh, Overshow. They've both been ruled out for this week. And backup linebacker, Caleb Johnson, is under the draft portal. That doesn't really surprise me. All right. 
the Cowboys offense is averaging 50 points per game this year. 50. That's impressive. That's good. But again, but again, they haven't played anybody. So say a small sample size, whatever, you know, I don't really take that into play. So Spencer Sanders has been terrific so far. Freshman quarterback hit 67% of his passes with seven touchdowns and one pick. And that was last week. Tylen Wallace and Dylan Center are leading the nation with the most dangerous receiving core. And then Chubba Hubbard, obviously, is averaging eight yards per carry on the ground. So, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a bind between these two. So, I'll give you my quick story real quick. So, when I was in high school, my sophomore year, you know, I went to Oklahoma State, uh, like, all Oklahoma State, like, uh, like baseball camps, all this stuff. And uh, at the time, the head coach, he brought me into his office, asked me I wanted to play pro Oklahoma State. I was like, yes, absolutely. Big dream of mine. Uh, never never got around to it. Didn't happen. They ended up being uh, in some kind of probation where they weren't able to give out scholarships. Then two weeks later, Texas hits me up and gives me a full ride, and and, uh, <laughs> and I accept it. So I go on to my official visit my uh, senior year, and who are they playing? They're playing Oklahoma State, Texas, in Austin uh, for a football game. And this is the Oklahoma State was, uh, I think, 10-2. They had Brandon Whedon and uh, Justin Blackman. Yeah. And they just wow. freaking went off, man. It, 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 it tore my heart apart because I, so I wanted to root for Oklahoma State so bad, but obviously I had my ties to, you know, University of Texas. But uh, but had to be a Texas fan just for that, you know, that little – that little bit, you know, also always root for Texas just, just because, but for this game, like, you know, I just can't, man. I I, I feel like Oklahoma state is going to you know, shock in the game like they did last year. Mm. So I'm going to go final. I'm going to go final score. Oklahoma state 41, Texas 37. Wow. Close game. Texas wow. a favorite. Mm-hmm. In this game. You're uh, you listen, you've been good I, with the underdog so far. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to question you. That was a really nice story there, by the way. <laughs> Um, okay. All right. So the, uh, so, so let's get to, uh, the, the second game on the Austin Dean college football prediction, uh, segment here. Uh, Notre Dame going to Georgia. Uh, what's, what's happened here, Austin with Notre Dame is that after the way that they looked in the playoff last year, the faith is basically gone all over the country. That's it. Like people are just not willing to give Notre Dame a chance against Georgia. Why, why, why would you though? You should. You yeah. really can't. You really can't. After the way yeah. they looked last year, yeah. yeah let, let, like, let's take it back to when they were in the national championship with uh, Manti Teo. Like, they didn't even stand a chance. No. I, no I, 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 yeah, I don't know what happened. I mean, it seems like they, they just get all this public love and this, this voting love, and then they actually play a team and get whacked. So. I, well, I feel like the, only t- like the only chance they'll ever even succeed in college football is when they actually join a conference up. Uh, I know they have like some kind of deal with the ACC because they're in the ACC with everything else besides college, college football. And they have to play X amount, uh, X amount of games against ACC teams. But I feel like once they actually get into a conference and then like get in the SEC or get in, get in some kind of power five conference and somewhat compete, maybe, maybe they can be some kind of like talk in the world. But I, I'm just, I'm just so out on Notre Dame. I've always have been, I don't understand why they always get, the love they do, and they're always ranked in the top ten. Like we we know they don't stand a chance. We really do. They don't stand a chance against Georgia. That that's just my biggest belief. I mean, let's see. They played uh, 
They played Louisville. Okay. They played New Mexico. Okay. Where's the competition? No, no, none. No, they, 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 listen, they'll play Michigan, and they'll play a couple of teams during the season, Austin, but you, you hit it on the head there. They go into the season ranked so high that all they basically have to do is win one big game, and then they get put into the playoff. And I, I, but, but here's the thing, Austin. I think that they realize that I don't think that, that they'll get in this year. I don't think that anybody wants to see them get destroyed. So, uh, but anyway, give me, your, give me your final score here of this game, and let's, uh, let's end it with that. Georgia-Notre Dame, Irish Bulldogs, final score here, Georgia-Notre Dame this week. That's the primetime game Saturday night. Final score. I think it's going to be a lot closer than I, than I have uh, been talking crap about. I think it's no. going to be a little bit closer. All right. But I think it's going to be – I think it's going to go Georgia 27, Notre Dame 17. Okay, 10 points. That's, right. That is a close 10 game. 10-point game. A little bit closer than I'm talking crap, but, but that's what I'm going to go with. I mean, Jake Fromm's kind of been unstoppable this year. I think he's going to score – they're going to score early, and then – I think the Irish uh, secondary is going to, you know, stop them a little bit. But, again, I don't see Notre Dame winning this game whatsoever. All right. Well, uh, Austin, enjoy the uh, the homestand back in uh, South Florida this weekend uh, with the Marlins back in town for sure. We'll see you at the ballpark, and we'll catch up with you again next week here on Swings and Missions. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. If you decide that you want to get down on any college or pro football games this weekend – especially those huge games Saturday nights, whatever games that you want to get in on, Sunday night, Monday night, a ton of options, in-game wagering, BetDSI is your place to do it. Don't forget to use my promo code SWINGS101, that's S-W-I-N-G-S-101. Get yourself a deposit bonus of up to $1,500 with your first deposit. That's right. You put in 1000 they give you another 1000 in bonus money. That's the BetDSI swings 101 is my promo code so many great options to wager on this weekend make sure you take advantage of it and use my promo code swings 101 to get that deposit bonus they have phenomenal customer service and fast payouts they've been in business for a very long time again that is bet the si and my promo code to get you that deposit bonus of swings 101